It's a rare movie that manages to strike a chord with most adults, but Mike Judge's 1999 cult hit, Office Space, may have just managed to pull it off. The story of tech company office drone, Peter Gibbons, and his newfound ability to simply not care about work, somehow managed to reach across age and industry and empathize with working people on a much broader scale. Simply put, this is the movie that sums up professional life. So join us in the cubicle. We promise not to accuse you of having a case of the Mondays. We've all been there. Hi, and welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild Summer Pop Culture Playground. What we've been doing with this is to bring some more content out throughout the summer, not leave everybody hanging and without any fun listening about education over the summer. But we're trying to make it as much fun as watching some of your favorite movies or shows or listening to tunes by the beach. Keep things connected to our world of education, learning, and teams, but still get some things out there to entertain you. And so the game that we have decided to play is Six Degrees of Education as part of the Pop Culture Playground. It's where we pick apart some of our favorite cult classics or great examples of popular culture and connect them to education, learning, leadership, teaching, all that fun stuff. And hopefully by now you've got the drill down, but we've got our norms for our time together. We like to talk and we've set a goal for ourselves for 20 minutes. And how do you think, guys? We've been doing pretty well. I think yeah. so, yeah. Better than so, expected. Better than expected, but yet have we come under time? I don't think so, but we've been much better at keeping ourselves at around the 20-minute mark. And well, let's just say the second one is spoilers may follow, but by now when we are talking about our topic today, this one has been out for uh, 22 years, so I hope you've watched it by this point. And if you haven't, you might want to go watch the movie ahead of time. It'll make your listening a lot more enjoyable today. Yes, I was able to do my homework and watch the DVD I had bought when nice. it first came yeah. out. Oh, free Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, even before I was actually a part of professional life, I owned the DVD for Office Space because it was that brilliant. So before we jump into the connections, let's give our listeners a quick refresher on the story of Office Space. So Emily, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, or even if you're just trying to remember the specifics, we've got Peter Gibbons, who works in like a generalized tech company stand-in called Inatech and is not enjoying his professional life in the slightest. And what plays out in the movie is more or less an experiment of what happens when he stops caring about doing what's right or proper. And in his case, it begins as due to a hypnosis gone wrong, but stops putting on airs about how he should be acting at work and starts doing really what he wants to do. And hijinks ensue. This movie, I think, has so much relatable and interesting content in it that I really want to just jump right into some of these iconic things. And it really holds up, doesn't it? It's just so good. And there's some things that my husband and I were like, man, there are some things in here that just have stuck with the way we talk and dialogue. There's some things that come up. I'm like, that came from this movie too? No way. The only thing that doesn't stand up well are the technology and no. the computer. <laughs> Good point. Oh, gosh. Yeah. My DVD, the start menu actually looks like an old Mac computer. <laughs> That's so awesome. great. It's great. So the first connection that we're going to talk about is probably one of the most iconic scenes, and that is the TPS reports conversation. So within the first couple of seconds after Peter comes into work after the stressful commute, 
his manager Lumberg is on him about how he did not use the correct cover letter form for his TPS reports. Did he get the memo and all of the awkward hilarity and discomfort satire comes up. So what are some connections we can see to that in education? So I kind of need to lampshade the fact that I think a lot of the connections we make today might even transcend education and be more about people's professional lives and generalized learning and motivation of adults. I think this is going to come up over and over. And that's what I see this as is somebody nitpicking something that really doesn't actually have an effect on anything that's important for big picture considerations, but something that keeps coming up over and over. And I do think that this is an idea that clearly goes beyond education in that world. But on the flip side, I think of even just like some of the things that might come up in evaluation that aren't necessarily inspiring or making a person really want to strive to do better, but just seem like a nitpick because they felt like some sort of critique or something was needed. And it just keeps coming up for that person. Several people ask him, well, did you see the memo? Did you see the memo? (laughs) And it's like, sometimes you feel that way where it's like, did you get that email? Did you read it all the way through? (laughs) So and you want to say yes. But sometimes let's be real. (laughs) When you have hundreds of emails coming in, sometimes you miss some of those details. But yeah, I got the memo It's just something he kept saying. And I wonder, do you think he really did read the memo? Well, yeah, because he was right there. He pulled it right up. Like, yep, here's the memo. Let me get you another copy of that memo. (laughs) (laughs) For me, the connection was all about communication. Like, it's very important for a system to have a clear line of communication. And Peter admits it later in one of our later connections that he has eight people come to him and tell him that he has made a mistake when generally it's an honest human error and mistake. So I think no matter what career field or area you find yourself in, having clear lines of communication in terms of when someone does make a mistake, which one of us does it fall on? Whether that's an honest mistake or a bigger mistake, who is going to have that conversation with that person? So another character that we did not mention in our overview is Joanna. So Joanna is played by Jennifer Aniston in the film, and she becomes a love interest, but also she is the waitress at a chain-style restaurant that has very familiar uniforms that are covered in buttons, which are called pieces of flair. (laughs) Yes. But called pieces of flair. So the idea here is that all the servers are meant to show their personality and express themselves through these buttons. So what are some connections we can make to the pieces of flair? It's related to communication, but I think it's really more about clarity of expectations. I think Joanna wants to do what she's supposed to do at the job and they basically say this is how many you know 15 pieces of flair that's what you have to wear and she says well here i am i've got my 15 piece of flair and stan the manager who's played by mike judge right <laughs> that's so <laughs> yeah awesome. so in his director cameo he continues to hassle her and say that some people choose to express themselves more and we encourage that tell joanna what you want She will do what you want. She's not trying to be a bad waitress or anything like that. She wants to do well at her job. But because they've made this underlying encouragement, but a lack of clarity about what they actually want her to do, such an integral part of her job. And she has to kind of like Peter with the TPS reports have repeated conversations about her flair. 
it starts to make her nuts. Tied into that, number one, very first thing I heard of was the badging, right? The badging as pieces <laughs> of flair, which is from our previous Dirty Words and Unpopular Opinions Bonus episode. points. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm not going to go through and talk about that. But it's almost shaming her. Like, what do you think of someone, Joanna, who only does the bare minimum? Like, that's like a toxic work environment when you have people doing work because they don't want to be shamed, which is not cool. The comment of you don't want to do just the bare minimum, right, is passive aggressive instead Mm -hmm. of just being direct and honest with really what you're hoping for, like Emily said, with your expectations. And I think that that's not how you help motivate people when you use that sleight of hand. Shame has never worked. The great Brene Brown will say shame does not work to help motivate people. So how do you do it in the right way to help encourage what you're hoping to get from your employees? All right, next one is the consultants meeting. So you've got the Bobs sitting down a couple of times with characters, having a couple of conversations with the two of them. So what connections can we make with the Bobs? Okay, so when I think about the Bobs and their consultancy, it's interesting because they're coming in from the outside and trying to interview with everybody. And nobody trusts them, for starters, because they know that their function is to try to get rid of some people. They're going to make some cuts. So nobody really trusts them. But I think what's interesting about Peter's conversation with the Bobs is when we were doing our previous episode, The Apathy Zone, Mm -hmm. I was watching the way Peter talks to the Bobs, and it is indicative of there haven't been high expectations set for him. He doesn't feel psychologically safe, so he just doesn't care. And he is, at this point, point blank referencing it. I sit down and I stare at my desk. I sneak in late every day. You know, he's saying all these things to the Bobs about how incredibly unmotivated he is, but he's being very honest about his lack of motivation. And I think that the particularly that conversation is a standout to me. And of course, you know, in their typical satirical, hilarious fashion, they decide that he's like going to get a promotion because he's so honest about all the stuff that needs to be fixed. But (laughs) on the flip side, I think that a sense of honesty can be refreshing. Feedback. It's, It's feedback. It's candid. It is. And I think if there are people that are apathetic and willing to give a system the feedback that they need to improve themselves, that it might not be a horrible move. So I'm not going to totally judge the bobs, even though their scenes are ridiculous. But you guys? Yeah, I've got a couple. So the first one, Emily, ties into what you were saying a second ago. They're outsiders, right? They're trying to bring about change. So I think when you are trying to make change and trying to make innovation and all of that sort of thing happen within a system, there's a right way and a less than ideal way to do it. It involves relationships, it involves getting to know people, building trust, and then helping change happen. Whereas it seems like Inatech just wants to watch out for their bottom line and get rid of as many people as possible. So that's kind of the first thing. But then the second thing that I wanted to bring up about the Bobs is the Milton conversation. We haven't talked about Milton yet either. That dedicated employee with the red stapler. We'll get to that in a moment. But in their conversation, they determined that someone was supposed to fire Milton and never got around to doing it. And he's just been getting a paycheck. (laughs) And instead of telling Milton, having a candid conversation, like what they expect from what they like about Peter, that candid conversation, they're like, we fixed the glitch. So now he won't get a paycheck anymore and it'll just work itself out. (laughs) Doing whatever they can to avoid having a candid and difficult conversation with someone 
when that's exactly what they like about Peter. So just kind of an interesting little take about the links that people will go to to avoid having difficult conversations. And Emily, you're talking about the apathy zone with Peter. And while that being so very true, what I really found as you both touched on this a little bit with Peter is that he got their attention with that candidness and that honesty. And while you want to be genuine and authentic in your answers, I think a lot of times people are guarded in what they say. And I can even speak for myself sometimes when I'm sitting in a meeting where I don't really know people very well, I'm oftentimes rethinking how I'm going to say something or how I'm going to word it. And when you just are really true to who you are and what you want to say about things, people are more receptive to it. Now, the way he goes about mm-hmm. it is hilarious. I wouldn't advise you saying like, I come to work 15 minutes late and I spend an and hour. And I only do about 15 minutes of actual work a yeah. week. I, I wouldn't recommend, yeah, I wouldn't recommend yes. that being how you take your candidness in that direction. But I do think he gets their attention. And when you're trying to work with people and you're really wanting to help in those initiatives, Casey, that you talk about, when you're trying to see how to change or shift a particular environment, when you aren't so worried and guarded about your answers and you're more forthright, it catches their attention more. All right. So number four, the red stapler. So Milton's precious red swing line stapler. I think that's something someone holds dear and that they find motivating. As silly and trite of a thing that that is, Milton cares about that stapler. He thinks it's better than the new one that they got, and it's something that he's holding on to. And he finds it motivating. And when that stapler is taken away from him, It's not the actual last straw, but it's close. It's close. It's really, really close. Yeah, that was my connection as well. Everyone's got that thing that gets them up in the morning, that passion project that if you're talking about teaching, that favorite lesson, that favorite unit, favorite activity they do, and it means something to them. So as coaches, we always try to unpack why is that practice so powerful and how can we either level that up or make use of it or give you a platform to share that passion that you have. And at the end of the movie, as Peter is cleaning up from the fire, he finds that stapler and he's like, I think I know who this goes to. And I think that that's really symbolic as well. If you think about when you take notice of those little things that make a big difference and it shows that you're paying attention, you care. And I think that speaks, again, volumes to the people that you work with if you return the red stapler. Yeah. All right. Number five was subtle. And it may not be something as iconic as some of the other moments in the film that we've mentioned so far. But in the film, there's this banner and they have this staff meeting about introducing this new mission to the staff, getting everyone to think about, quote, is this good for the company? Is this action that you may be taking or are about to do, is it really good for the company? So what connections can we make to that? A couple things that really pop into my mind is first the idea of the is this good for a company mission, I think is a difficult mission to push towards people because it's not very specific, it's not very targeted, and it almost implies that people are doing things that are not good for the company. So again, there's Mm -hmm. a little more of that shaming there. And I'd say as far as a mission goes, it's not a particularly motivating one. Clearly, Peter thinks so when he like rips the thing (laughs) down. down. (laughs) (laughs) And it's never mentioned again, shows that I don't really think anybody connected to it there either. The difference between number one, saying you have a mission, number two, living by that mission and making it really a part of your day-to-day culture without the shame and the blame. Yep. And it's on a banner versus is it in your heart? (laughs) 
Is right. it in your heart? Yeah. Do you help inspire people to want to take it internally and make it their own as well? And clearly these guys didn't. All right. And last but certainly not least, number six, quote from the movie, I did absolutely nothing and it was everything I thought it could be. <laughs> so this comes from the day where Lumberg expects Peter to come in on a Saturday and on the following <laughs> Sunday to work. Doesn't he call her like 17 times on his <laughs> 17 times. <laughs> Answering machines. Yes. More outdated technology. <laughs> he sleeps in till like three o'clock. His girlfriend breaks up with him over the phone. It finds out he did nothing and it was everything he thought it could be. So what's the connection here? Right now, I'm connecting this to this year, particularly. And again, I hope this doesn't seem hypocritical because we keep pumping out summer content. But it's this idea of people need to disconnect a little bit after the year that we've just had or after any time where you've been working really hard or not really feeling connected with yourself. I think that that idea of not responding to the answering machine at all and just doing nothing not everybody gets that sense of self-care out of doing nothing we, i know we talked about that in our self-care episode but i do think it's that idea of having uninterrupted you time being a really big thing right now i really hope everybody's getting a chance to do a little bit of that here and there yeah it's finding what you need and then finding the time to give yourself or leaning on supports to give yourself that thing that you need i mean i even think about when I was teaching and or I had to take a day and go to a conference or get caught up on grading or whatever the situation was, I was never doing absolutely nothing. So the thought of doing nothing for a day really excites me. <laughs> so that part really does speak to me. Educators, professionals, nine out of 10 people who call themselves a professional, they embody that they don't just do nothing right and it's normalizing that it's okay when you need that and being able to say that and when you're having that conversation to somebody that person saying yeah good for you instead of yep a judgment in the other direction you set a boundary you set a boundary and have that boundary being respected and you not being shamed for it number one but number two not having to feel like you have to sneak out of work early because someone's gonna ask you to work on a saturday and interestingly enough, we haven't talked about Michael or Samir, but they both yeah. completely are like, yeah, I get it. When Peter says that to them, like none of them give mm-hmm. him any eyeball about it. They're just kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. Yep, they're supportive. And that's what you need in your support system. People to say, you know what, lucky, good for you. All right, game time. We ready? Yep. Okay, yep. so game for today. So which of the scenarios presented in the movie would one of us be most guilty of okay so we're naming this for each other which of these would we most likely do so wanting to take a hit out on the copy printer fax machine wear more pieces of flair after our manager spoke to us or you being sad that you were told to just pass the cake at the birthday party and didn't receive a piece twice (laughs) so that happens to milton where the first time he doesn't get a piece of cake and decides he wants to hold on to it and he gets yelled at to just pass (laughs) so i think my answer might surprise some people at least on the first one so i'm gonna say jenny you take the hit out on the copy machine and (laughs) i'm saying this because 
I remember years and years and years ago when I was your coach and you were teaching in the classroom, what was your motivation to go paper? <laughs> I hated the copier. <laughs> You're right. I forgot. <laughs> so I'm bringing it way back. But since we're using a movie from 1999, we're just going to roll with that. Like Jenny <laughs> did not want to learn the, how the new copy machine did everything. And it was really annoying to use. So she's like, let's try doing everything digital. And I'm like, yes, here for it. So you did something nice rather than beating up the copy machine, which is awesome. But I also am like, I think that that underlying resentment of that machine was still there. So what you're saying is you're going to hijack our copy machine, put it in your trunk and take us out to a field. I'm not going to say because you guys still have to pick for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Casey, I'm going to say you are the overachiever who wears too much flair. Yeah, Definitely. That's what I would say for Casey, too, hands down. As soon as I would never have gotten talked to by the manager, yeah. I'd wear, come in wearing all flair. You never do the bare minimum either. No, I'd make no. my own flair with a button maker. <laughs> you do. She's made buttons, folks. Yeah, made buttons. They're awesome. We have them yeah. to prove it. So, Jenny, what was your one for Emily? I was going to give Emily the printer, copier, fax machine, but I could totally see Emily taking that copier and just wailing on it and getting out all of that aggression. I'm not going to fight you on that. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) In an effort to just be a little different, while I agree that Emily probably would be more likely to go crazy on the printer fax, I'm actually going to say the cake one, and here's why. When you had gestational diabetes, you got so mad when people were sending out email invitations for baked goods. I forgot about that. I would change it from sad to angry that you couldn't get cake. (laughs) So if we've learned nothing else today at Guild Members, we've learned that Emily has a rage problem. Oh, Casey, that connection is so spot on. Well done, bravo. (laughs) And then, Jenny, I would also say that you would probably wear more pieces of flair after being spoken to, if not even before, because you are a rule follower. Totally, totally. The thought of only having the 15 and someone calling me out, I'm starting to sweat thinking about it. Oh, man. So that was nice to have some laughs about office space and draw some connections with it. That's part of the reason why we're doing this is to just relax a little bit and enjoy some humor related to the insane world, but really rewarding world of work, too. And remember, at the end of office space, Peter ends up finding a job that he is enjoying and finds some reward in that. So it's nice to know there's something out there for everybody. And that's a wrap for another mini-sode on GLG's summer pop culture playground, Six Degrees of Education. A sincere thank you for joining us on this journey as we continue to advocate for adult learners and aim to contribute to this community with genuine conversations about education, leadership, and topics that matter to you. If you'd like to connect, you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, on Twitter, at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM and at Jenny Labrie using the hashtag GLGPodChat. Feedback is a powerful tool. Might you consider leaving us a review? It helps us to keep growing, allows us to bring you quality and customized content, and assists in getting this content into others' hands, or better put, ears. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream. Thanks again for joining us, Casey. Emily, and me, Jenny, on this Minnesota of the Grounded Learners Guild. See you at the playground. And even though it's summer, 
Do your best to stay grounded.